0: Tonight we are continuing this important series uh, in the life of our church, It's about getting involved, how can I get involved, and I'm going to read tonight from Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 to 7, I'd love you to follow uh, in your Bibles or on your devices uh, as we read together. Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 to 7, gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives. And that day sweeps on like chaff before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps who will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday Ashod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea. O Kerith people, the word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea where the Ketharites dwell will be a place of shepherds and sheep pens. It will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah, and there they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the house of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. Well, I want to welcome you uh, to this incredibly turbulent uh, period of history uh, for the people of Judah. Uh, and uh, here we've got the prophet Zephaniah, just three chapters of Zephaniah, but Zephaniah is significant because he had great heritage. Uh, In 1 verse 1 he is established as being the great grandson of Hezekiah, who was uh, presumably King Hezekiah, the great reformer and restorer of the fortunes of Jerusalem from the Assyrian superpower uh, and led to the reformation of Judah. Hezekiah is this great king, everyone remembers, him as someone who did something really really significant and unfortunately though for Zephaniah he'd grown up through the reign of not just Hezekiah but two wicked kings Manasseh and Ammon and there was a rising new superpower and that was Babylon so, so we've got a changing landscape and, and things are shifting in the land and and it's not all good I wonder, in your life, have you, have you started in a great place and thought, yes, things are getting better, but then the tide seems to turn and somehow things seem to go off track? Thinking, what happened? I was so optimistic. I was so excited. I thought it was going to be easy and it's so hard. I remember watching the Berlin Wall being knocked down in 1989. I know quite a few weren't actually around in 1989. Well, the thing was actually, was it me and Tim were chatting earlier, and it was, uh, we, were, we were celebrating uh, Emma's incredible victory in the US Open, but it was that both her and her opponent hadn't been born at the millennium, which made me feel very, very old. So <laughs> there, there we are, 1989, I remember watching the Berlin Wall being knocked down. And I remember it just felt like such a seminal moment in the history of people. It felt like the end of the Cold War, finally, you know, Germany reunified. Do you remember? Germany was divided into two nations. It felt like such a hope-filled moment in our story. I remember things, it felt, couldn't get any better. Or they were just on a trajectory to greatness. But, you know, yesterday, remembered remembered 9-11. He thought, Wow. What a change you know, things are difficult in the land and I wonder whether your optimism is buffeted right now off the back of the last 18 months that we've experienced life feels different your vision or your sense of calling has been disrupted you're discombobulated in your own experience thinking what well, I don't kind of know what my place is anymore you know I'd hope for this Uh, but it's nowhere near being realized. I'm sure my optimism was not dissimilar to Zephaniah's growing up in this uh, disproving world. And here's the thing, in the broken and fallen temporal world, we're definitely not on a trajectory to utopia. In fact, you only need to read Revelations, you can quickly see that the opposite is true. Zephaniah's world was rocked by the reign of two evil kings and the descent of Judah into a spiritual, social, political and a sovereign mess. And and here we find ourselves today in in a similar situation. Maybe we're not looking to the Babylonians in in the East, but, you know, the world is turbulent and difficult, and you can see the parallels to our world today as we wrestle with climate change, with pandemics, with global inequalities, with church decline, and with moral relativism. You know, what what we started with, or our optimism of previous generations maybe, is dissipated by this uh, particular season of pain and discord. But I want to say to you tonight that hope comes in unexpected packages, that actually God is key, is centric to our history and to our future, and he is raising up his church today. You know, he's doing a great work. We, we had Hixie just, just in the prayer meeting. This is a prophecy that the Lord is, is doing something new. You know, he's sending his spirit, and the church is waking up again to the calling of the Lord to get involved in the ministry that God has called us to here on earth. Because Zephaniah, who'd lived through huge disappointment, if you like, from a spiritual beginning, a high point, found himself suddenly serving King Josiah, who took over the throne from his father when he was just eight years old. Emerita Cano is just 18. You know, queen of the world right now. You know, unexpected. She's a tennis superstar, but King Josiah was eight years old when he took over a very, very dissipated and broken nation. Eight years old. And yet out of his reign, he would transform the fortunes of Judah. He would restore the trajectory spiritually of the nation. He would be remembered as one of the greatest kings of Judah. And he would undo all of the division and all of the discord of previous generations. And it wasn't going to be easy for him. Because actually, in his reign, the Babylonians were going to invade and destroy, and the Exodus was going to happen. And yet, he did not waver. And I want to say to you tonight you have a part to play in this church's story. You know, it doesn't matter whether you feel like you're spiritually eight years old or eight days old. God has got a part for you to play in this church's story because this is God's story. And you know what happens politically? Whenever we become disaffected in history, it's always with the grand meta-narrative. You know, if you think about Zephaniah's experience, he was going to be really disillusioned by the kings who followed the king of greatness. It's great when he's, if you like, being born under the rule of King Hezekiah. That's great. All is well, right? I, I, I believe in governance. I believe in big government. I believe in kingship. But then suddenly it's followed by two terrible kings who are decadent and dishonest and disruptive and disloyal and damaging who set up high places in the temple of the Lord, who allow people to desecrate the house of the Lord, what's your feeling then, Zephaniah? How do you feel about that? Because it seems to me that when we see the big schemes of life disappoint, we begin to microcosm our lives. I'll forget that, the big thing. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'll forget church, because that's like a big, faulty institution that is just going to let me down. And it's probably totally corrupt, and they've got loads of money stashed away in Swiss bank accounts somewhere that I'll find out about later. They haven't, by the way. But, but, you know, like, it's all rotten because it's big. Government is all rotten because it's big. You know, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be a Christian on my own. I'm suspicious of church, so I'm going to come in late and leave early, and just take the spiritual bit, and if anyone ever asks me to do something, I'll have to say no, because it's an organization and it's big. You know, if I was Zephaniah, I would not get involved in governance. I would not get involved in kingship, because hey, it's all broken and it's all corrupt. When we are disappointed by the meta-narrative, by the big, we will always go small. You know, our world today, we are partly so fractured because of our disappointment about government generally not just in the UK but globally people are becoming increasingly suspicious of big organization of big charity everything that is big is a target because we ourselves have become cynical and disconnected and yet the word of the Lord of Zephaniah to the people is not become disparate become separate it is gather together gather together Despite being disillusioned by the political rhetoric of the day, Zephaniah is calling the people into big, not into small. He's calling them to trust again. You see, Josiah's reforms were not going to be realized unless there was unity amongst people in the big to impact the small. God has called us to play our part together for the transformation of the nation. Really, the devil's scheme is to isolate in order that we might be vulnerable not to unify in order that we might be effective and yet we can feel justified in our dissection in our singularity oh but I don't want to be part of something I want to stand apart Zephaniah saying come on gather together gather together because then you can be part of this great reform In Scripture, whenever something is repeated, take notice. If it's repeated three times, it's called a super superlative, like holy, holy, holy. Like, that's the absolute. But gather together, gather together is a superlative. It's a primary call to the people. And I want to make it over you today, prophetically. St. Dionysus Church, gather together, gather together because it is in our unity In our co involvement, that we are going to see Parsons Green and Fulham and beyond transformed in Jesus' name. Zephaniah wasn't predicting an easy journey for the people of the Lord. He wasn't saying, Guys, gather together, gather together. It's going to be a really, really great time. He was actually one who could foresee the Babylonian invasion and the fall of Jerusalem and the exile. But he's saying in the face of this great opposition, you need greater unity. Like now more than ever, you're called to stand with one another, to be involved in each other's stories. You know, like I I believe absolutely in the power and protection afforded me through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that power and protection does not mean I'm also not facing the reality of a story of revelation of a broken and fallen and increasingly disjunctive world I'm protected because my life is safe it's hid in Christ and yet I'm also experiencing a world in turmoil that's not something that we really like to think about that much because all of us would like to think oh it's going to get better especially as a parent you're like oh for my kids it's all going to get better but it's just not getting better because we are still a broken and fallen world And that's why we need to say today, we need to plug in together. We need one another. But more than that, God has called us to this, to be unified for the sake of his kingdom coming here on earth. In every age, there's been a remnant of people who love the Lord and by his grace have the power to shift a generation. Ammon to Josiah. However, when the prophet's voice is always singular, the response is nearly always collective. To be absolutely honest with you, for years I saw the church as something that made me a more rounded person. I wonder if that, if that just, might just be me. It might be just be sort of public school education and a bit of school chapel. You did all the subjects and then you kind of went to chapel and sang a few songs and that kind of, that was like a holistic education. You know, going to church was an addition, a bit like going to the gym. I definitely went to the gym more I went to the church, but the feeling was, well, you know, exercise my body, that's good, exercise my spirit a little bit, that's definitely good, and get on with my life, that's also very, very important. Now, I didn't see this kind of call of the Lord to be involved as that significant, because it didn't work with my idea about a little bit of rounded spiritual education. In fact, if I heard myself then now, I think, oh, he's a bit harsh and a bit extreme. He's probably like one of those really re- religious people, like super extremist. I shouldn't listen to him. I need to leave and go to the gym. You know, the idea would be that, 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 that spirituality is, is a sort of an additional benefit to my life. And I, I thought compared to my peers, you know, I went to church, that made me good. You know, that was a good thing, like, tick for me. But going to church too much, that was weird. That would be a cross for me. So I just need to stay in the cool box and, like, not too intense, and then avoid, like, being the religious extremist kind of person that I didn't want to be. I I considered what my needs were, spiritually, to be fed, you know, to be discipled appropriately, but not too extremely. And, and, and to be sort of rounded and, you know, wholesome. I did not consider what the needs of my churches were. I'd I, I go and well, you know, what can I take? If it wasn't a very good sermon, I'd be like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. I'd give that a three, and if they do that again next week, I'm leaving. Um, you know, I, 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 when they talked about volunteering, I'd be, oh, that's interesting. I would ask, could that be good for my CV, like D You know, that would be Good. Like, if I was going to change jobs, I'd be thinking, oh, well, I could volunteer on the, you know, the production team. That would, be, that would make me look like I'm technically skilled. Or maybe I'd volunteer on the kids' team. That would improve my employability because I look kind of kind. But I was thinking about how I could orchestrate benefits out of my service of the church. How can I win? You know, and many of us have been trained to try and win every single way we possibly can. You know, we, we've been educated to win, to try and manipulate every system and process somehow for our benefit without it looking like we're winning. You know, that's the art of being British. Winning and then disclaiming your victory whilst everyone knows you actually have won. <laughs> and then pretending like you had nothing to do with winning. You know, that's what we do brilliantly. But, but I want to say, look, this story is about Jesus having already won. You know Christ went to the cross for our sake he won over death over sin and you have already won if you know him tonight and now in response to him winning we're called to win together in his name not for the extension of our CVs but for the sake of a really wounded and broken and hurting world that is losing without him that is an entirely different call it's an entirely different kingdom It's not the kingdom of me, it's the kingdom of him. And tonight I want to invite you to gather together, gather together for the sake of the kingdom and of the king. Now we were saying this morning, who thinks Emma Raducanu won on her own? Now I want to honor her, she is an incredible athlete. But who was behind her? Who, who are these nameless people? There were coaches, there were physios, there were nutritionists, there were tacticians, there were parents, there were friends, there were primary school teachers, secondary school teachers, you know, there was a coach driver, there was someone who helped her at the airport. Behind Emma Radicano was an army of people who care about her winning. You know, and God has called us to be church together that we might all contribute towards the kingdom of God coming we might all play our part in this story it's not equitable Emma Raducanu, she picks up the trophy she receives the check but everyone receives the victory and, and and in our church you know I might be up here preaching and Tim might be up here preaching or or, or Louie, and and you know Matt might be up here leading worship but we only do what we do because you do what you do you know, we're not called to singular leadership. We're called to all bless and help and lean in together. You know, Matt notices when you are lifting up your hands in praise, when you are willing him to lead you in worship before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He notices, he says to me, wow, it was really amazing tonight because I could feel everyone willing us to get close to the Lord. Or he'll say, wow, it's really hard tonight because I just felt like I had to convince people that this is what they wanted to do now that's not to lay criticism at anyone's door but I just want to say it makes a difference when you get involved in the kingdom of God it really makes a difference on Thursday morning we pray and you know I sometimes I think there's other things I'd rather do I've got to be honest with you and I'm a priest sometimes I'm thinking it's early I feel grumpy like I'm cycling normally at high speed and there's often bad traffic and sometimes I feel like swearing and I'm hoping I'm on mute still. But, you know, I'm praying and you're praying with me and I'm believing that is making a difference. It's actually doing something. It's not like you're going on the prayer meeting at 7.30 in the morning to improve your CV. It's because you're coming on the prayer meeting in the morning because you wanted to lean into the Lord because you want the Lord to change the nation. It makes a difference. It's having an impact. It's gathering together. And and, here, the call is to gather together. Verse 3, the righteous. Uh, The righteous are a segment of the decadent society. And there's a call to gather together the righteous, even though we're a tiny subset of that world at the time, because they together would make a difference. Now, we are gathering together the righteous, and we need to understand that word just for a moment. That is not you fulfilling the law of your own volition. That's you being made right with God through relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing directly here is responding to Zephaniah's call to gather together the righteous. You are, my friends, are the righteous. Again, being British, you probably want to deny that. But you are actually righteous because you've been made right with Jesus Christ. And even though we might be a tiny portion of this society right now, we can change this society in Jesus' name. We might be a tiny outnumbered group of young people and not so young people like me. But together, collectively, we can transform this world in Jesus' name. Just as much as Josiah and Zephaniah could transform the world that they lived in in 604 B.C., we're to gather together the godly. Uh, and We're to seek together. And the Hebrew word here, bakesu, is, is not a pragmatic seek when this suits me. It's an urgent search. You know, he's saying gather together, seek the Lord. Seek righteousness and seek humility. And, and you know, it, it's not like seek the remote. Where is the remote? Who has, found, who has got the remote? This is like someone is drowning seek this person out. You know, when we're called in verse 3 to, to, to seek the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, this is urgent business. How urgent does this feel to you right now? You know, I want to I say it's really urgent. You know, how many kind of disasters and you know, incidents of every single kind Do there need to be before we start seeing that this world is groaning just as it was predicted to groan. This is urgent. And it might feel like you've got your whole life ahead of you and hey, yeah, it's all great. But actually this world is broken. It's urgent right now. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Like a, a lifeboat crew, seek survivors from a wreck at sea. For Zephaniah, this was the imminent challenge. Babylon is going to invade. We've got to do something right now. Our Babylon is going to invade. We've got to do something right now to see the church brought again to the forefront of our society. And I I feel the urgency of Zephaniah's prophecy after two years of rising temperatures. And, And this is the call of the church to gather together, each of us aware of the need of the church and our collective response to that need. You know, I've done a thousand of these kind of get involved sermons over my ministry over the last 20 years. And normally I try and convince people to kind of, oh, be really, oh, I think you'll be amazing with children. Oh, you'd be great. Or, oh, I think you'd be really good, like in the band. It would be really good for you. I, I'm just gonna give that stuff up right now. And so I'm just done with that. I'm done with trying to convince people that it would be good for them, like it was good for me to volunteer. Instead, I want to say, it's really tough. Zephaniah 3 calls them to do what they do because the Lord commands it. It's like, why should we try and convince one another to do these things? Because it's good for us. Why shouldn't we just say, God says, do this. You know, you on board with the Lord? Great, let's do this. Because this is what he actually commands. Firstly, seek righteousness. For the 6th century BC audience, that meant be of right moral standing. For us, as I said, it's about being in right relationship with Jesus. And secondly, seek humility. And humility is one of the most poorly understood virtues uh, in in the world, particularly, as I said, in the UK, suggesting that you have nothing to do with something good that happened, whilst everyone knows full well that actually you were involved in the good thing that happens. Instead, humility is not a social device or a lack of confidence or being a martyr of some kind. It is, in fact, the decision to forego your access to power for the sake of others. That's what humility is. It's the decision to forego your access to power for the sake of others. Now, we can not do that, in which case we definitely won't get involved. You've got the power right now to walk out of the door and say, yeah, this is lovely, that was a good sermon, challenging, challenging. Have you ever used that word? When you've not really wanted to engage with the sermon, ooh, that was challenging. And then you walk away quickly, hoping to forget the sermon really soon and do absolutely nothing about it. So you could walk out tonight going, "Oh, challenging, Oh, that was really challenging, stimulating, stimulating, and do absolutely nothing about it. But really, are you going to forego that power that you have to walk out the door and instead choose something else? Because humility is most perfectly manifest in Jesus who chose to submit himself to the will of God over exercising his own personal power and smiting down his detractors. It says in Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if we want to be looked like Jesus, we have to forego our personal power for the sake of the other. And Zephaniah's Judah was awash with people exercising their moral power, their personal power, not moral power. You know, in a society where, where, where religious worship and temple traditions had become decadent and broken, What I'm asking you to do today is not be content in the singular righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus, but to seek a humility that says, I am in despite what it costs me. You know, I'm in today despite what it costs me. And it will cost you something. Again, I'm going to give up trying to convince you to do something and say, well, you can fit it into your lifestyle and it won't have any sort of an impact. So it's only once a month. Children's groups, it's only once a month. What's it going to cost you? It's still going to cost you, right? Because once a month is still a lot in our world, in London, in your life. It's going to cost you. Welcome. It's going to cost you a lie-in, you know, once a month. It's going to cost you. You're going to hate it. You're going to wake up thinking, Will Vanderhart, he preached a really challenging sermon. How did I get foxed into doing this thing?" The deal is this. It's going to cost you. But isn't that the point? that we get a chance to forego our personal power for the sake of the kingdom. You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you could have done lots of other things, you know. I hate that phrase. Yes, sometimes I do want to go on a whimsical about other things I might have done with my life. You know, but I think, you know, is this about Will van der self-actuation? Is it my actualization which is important? Or is it not that God has called me to do this? What about your life? There's lots of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning other than helping out with kids groups, but is it not important that God might have called you to do this? You're going to have an impact. Katie was here with my daughter the other night, helping her at youth. You know, my daughter came away. She's just 12 years old. She's learning to love the Lord. She said, "Oh, I love that woman who you know helped me, Katie. She's brilliant. She made me feel really excited about Jesus, and she wants to talk to my non-Christian friends." We went on a scooter around the block a few times that I'd hired and zoomed around while she sort of reveled in the glee of having spent someone, time with someone who'd inspired her to love Jesus more. I felt in my heart, thank you, probably embarrassed Katie terribly by saying this right now, but you know she made a difference because she sacrificed for the sake of a kingdom. And, and whether you're helping on welcome or whether you're helping on worship or whether you're helping on technical or, or whether you're doing coffee like James tonight, what's important is not whether or not what you do has a direct impact on your life. It's whether what you do is an aspect of your heart to sacrifice for Jesus and lean into the context of this kingdom with God, which God has called us to. I saw this in closing, this little story, uh, which I found really fascinating, about Nicole Graham and her horse Astro. Nicole uh, was a, a very proficient horse rider, and uh, she was riding along the beach in Melbourne, Australia, and she's very, very experienced and rode there regularly, but she made a decision that day, and she, she strayed at low tide into an area which was, which was soft and boggy, and her poor horse Astro went down in the mud, and this is a picture of, Nick, uh, of Nicole just just lying there in the mud with her horse. Now, you know, it's a miserable scene. But something she loved is drowning in the mud. And, and not just, you know, there's like time is of essence here because there's a tide that's going to come back in and it's going to kill that horse. And, you know, she spent three hours lying in the mud. It was a pretty, like, little kind of vulnerable and distant piece of land that she'd been riding on. And I guess from a distance, people didn't really see her experience. And you know, what she needed was someone to come and lean in with her. And uh, all the horse could do was kind of lift its head. And you know, after some time, someone came to help and offered some hope that this thing that was potentially going to die might live again. Uh, and then that gave way to a whole load of other people people just you know with experience and people with no experience people who were gifted and skilled for this task and other people who were just you know walking by that day come and try and help this horse get out of the mud Uh, and then finally after a significant amount of time astro the horse was pulled out of the mud and it's a happy story you know the calling that God has placed on this church is just like that horse. You know, we are in boggy times. And, 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 and I love this church. And I know two people over there who love this church even more than I loved it. They've been loving it hard for 15 years. And, and I know many of you in the room love this church too. The thing is, this calling is too big for Tim and Joe to sit in the mud and watch this tide come in. You know, this calling is too big for me and Lou to lean in behind Tim and Joe and pull this horse out of the mud. And and it's too big for Laura and Hannah and and Matt and other members of our team to pull this horse out of the mud. It depends on all of us together to stand behind one another and pull to see the calling of the Lord realised in this place. That's what calling is. It's not an individual journey. It's a collective one it's a corporate one and ultimately it's an expression of the calling of the Lord to redeem the nations are you in? you want to get on your horse today collectively, you want to kind of say yeah, I want to do this you know, I'm up for it, I want to serve the house I want to see God's kingdom come in past and screen, and I want to see this church packed with people who didn't know Jesus and if you, if you want that too, then it's going to happen through the tiny decisions we make today. And the biggest decision you can make today is the decision of the heart to say I'm going to forego my personal power to gather together with others to see God's kingdom come here in St. Diana's Church, Parsons Green. That's my part of the kingdom. That's my part of the call. That's my responsibility. And that is going to do something really significant in the lives of goodness knows who. I won't know until I get to the other side of heaven but right now I'm making the decision to respond to that call. Gather together. Gather together today. We're going to invite Matt and the band up and we're going to spend just a short time of worship. We're going to just reflect on what I've said and I'd invite you right now to invite the Holy Spirit to bring that challenge to bear. It's all good hearing it in your head but What we do with it in our hearts, that's something else entirely. And after we've done that, we're going to give you the opportunity to respond practically tonight. And again, I'd love you to decide, even if it's sacrificial and you're not quite sure what you're signing up to, to say, just as a sign of my decision today, I'm going to do something practical with what I've heard.